0: This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best.
1: Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. This is a very special episode of Obsessed. I say that the episodes are special almost every episode uh, because these podcasts are like my children And I really do think they're all special. This is my 74th podcast child, and I don't want to just call it special, so what if I call it a weirdo? This is a weirdo podcast. If this podcast was an actual kid, it would be like that four year old who runs into the living room and yells, Look what I can do! and then just stands there and stares at you for a while and then runs away. That kid might be a genius or a huge disappointment, but regardless, The child has your attention, and that is what this special weirdo episode of Obsessed is like. Here is the quick background. I have a Patreon that is not a tequila or a Harry Potter spell. It is a cool crowdfunding site that helps make Obsessed possible. On Patreon, you can set cool goals for fans to unlock. One of the recently unlocked goals was an episode of Obsessed in which I interview myself about myself. So I made a list of my own obsessions. I asked some fans and friends on Facebook for questions they'd like me to answer. And then I decided that an episode of my own podcast featuring me talking about myself was plenty vain enough. So I asked my good friend Hal Lublin to actually do the interviewing. You might remember Hal Lublin from such hit podcasts as The Thrilling Adventure Hour, Welcome to Night Vale, Three hours of animal noises, and we got this. Only one of those podcasts is not real. Yet. Anyway, uh, I thought having a hell would keep me honest and make this podcast a kajillion percent more charming. And if you're just starting out with a podcast and want to start out with a less weird episode, you can check out Hal's previous episode, which featured me interviewing him about pro wrestling. That is downright normal insane compared to this podcast. Finally, thank you for all your support on patreon.com slash Scrimshaw. And speaking of plugs, here are more plugs. One day I will do an episode of Obsessed about how much I love shitty transitions. Anyway, though... Here are some plugs about shows. Here are some shows that I am doing. In just a few days, I'm going on tour with my pals The Double Clicks. Our tour is called Hashtag Nerd We'll be in Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, San Diego, and Seattle with special guests like Molly Lewis, Josh A. Kagan, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Unwoman, Eric Charles Nielsen, and more. Then back in L.A. on April 15th, I'll be part of the awesome comedy storytelling show Cheaper Than Therapy at Bar Lubitsch. Plus, my show Comedy Dreamtime returns to the Nerdist School stage on April 18th, and just announced I'm doing a brand new hour of stand-up in my hometown of Minneapolis on Sunday, May 31st, 8 p.m. at Comedy Corner Underground. Tickets and info on all these shows and more are on my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live-shows. That is it for plugs. Thanks again for your support. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, or otherwise verb us on iTunes. And now... The next voice you hear will be the dulcet tones
0: of Mr. Hal Lublin. Hello, and welcome to Obsessed with Joseph Scrimshaw with me, Hal Lublin. Thank you for being here on your podcast, Joseph.
1: Well, thank you, Hal, for agreeing to interview me about myself.
0: My, your pleasure. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to jump in. We have a bunch of questions here from people on Facebook. These are real human beings. I did not make any of these up. Because I'm just seeing them for the first time. I hope they're real human beings. <laughs> <We can only laughs> these are know. not questions from strange Facebook bots. No Facebook bots. <laughs> if it's like a woman with weirdly inflated uh, breasts who's just sending you links to her adult site and winking at you, probably fake. Uh, all right, then most of these are fake. All right, most all of right. these are fake. Let's see what they want to know. Though. <laughs> uh, here's the first question. How do you define the lines between interested in, obsessed with, and addicted to? So interested in, obsessed with, and addicted to. Yeah, like those are the steps up the ladder. So interested in
1: is, I think, it is pleasurable in the moment. And if, like, somebody gave you something related to that for Christmas, you'd be like, oh, that's great. That's a nice little present, and I will find time to read that book someday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obsessed with, I think, is when you think about it when it is not there. Okay, Uh, and it is start. It affects parts of your life outside of what the activity is. So, like if it's a television show, if you are thinking through, like how would this character handle this in real life, right? uh, Like that kind of thing. I think when it starts to like affect your life and make your life different than if it had not been there, okay, that is to me like getting obsessed. So I think for me, obsessed has. It's, like, at least 75% good and at least 25% dark room wiggle where... (laughs) It could be a bad thing or not sure. great. Yeah. Dark Room Wiggle will be the name of my next podcast. Anyway. Everybody stay tuned for Dark Room Wiggle <laughs> with, with Joseph Scribshaw. And Hal Lublin exactly. Interview Joseph Scribshaw <laughs> about, about the deep web. <laughs> where the Facebook bots come from. Yeah. Uh, and then the last part was uh, uh, addicted, to. addicted To. Yeah, I think that's where it crosses into the full sort of like um, – you are putting off important things in your life because of this. Uh, and I think there are things that I've been obsessed with where I have used a thing that I like to the point where it is bad for me. And even with like a television show where it's like, I know I have this problem in life, but instead I'm really just thinking about how much I like this TV show. And I <laughs> actively know I'm blocking out the real life thing with the not real life thing.
0: Do you think people who get obsessed with things? Because not everybody is obsessed with something. I don't. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe they are. Um, I don't think so. Do you think, I think people, they have different levels? People who are obsessed. Do you think they have addictive personalities? So it's not. They're always. Maybe that that uh, thirty twenty five to thirty percent of dark wiggle room <laughs> is like that's that's the precipice that'll take them into addiction.
1: I think so. I mean, I, I think sometimes everyone's fine with the podcast. It verges into like. I'm not trying to talk about medical addiction because I don't know anything about that. Sure. (laughs) I don't have a 12-step podcast yet. But yeah, I think that uh, it absolutely can verge into addiction. And I think I have an addictive personality Mm -hmm. and certain things I like to consume all of. uh, Sure. And other things like, oh, I'll take a bite of that. And other things like, you know, no, I must eat all of this. And then I'm going to find a way to buy the fucking restaurant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you own all those restaurants. Exactly. On Hollywood. Yeah. But that's what brought you out here was your yeah, restaurant my, your restaurant touring.
1: My California pizza kitchen empire.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that new bar you opened, Dark Wiggle Room. <laughs> it is very, very popular. <laughs> o- only open from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, it doesn't are- serve anything either.
1: It's no. just a dark room. And a
0: bunch of people dressed as clowns. <laughs> it's really so, weird. So disturbing. So let me ask you this. Uh, how do you, so when you're obsessed with something and it gets, even things you're obsessed with can sometimes get in the way, it it sometimes rises in priority, right? Right. Um, which leads to what what people from the outside would say is procrastination. Yes. So how do you personally battle procrastination?
1: Uh, I try to battle procrastination by saying it correctly, procrastination. <laughs> uh, but I, I do sometimes try to do something creative with the thing that I like because then I'm still thinking about it, but then I'm also doing something that I, I should do. My mm-hmm. favorite example of that is I have a, a comedy bit uh, of the story of Star Wars told through the character's Twitter feeds. And that absolutely <laughs> came from, I was working with a group in Minneapolis called the Rockstar Storytellers, and our assignment for the show that night was take something you really like and reinterpret it. And I just didn't feel like writing uh and I, you know, wanted to fuck around. i like, okay, but if I fuck around with Star Wars, then it doesn't even really feel like writing. <laughs> and it was an absolute last-minute thing,
0: and, you know, and it ended up being a, a, a really good bit. That's smart. It's like judo. You're using the momentum <laughs> of your procrastination to create art. Yes, yes. And
1: I think sometimes using it is escapism in a healthy dose. Mm-hmm of sort of like giving it to yourself as a reward or if you're like just so obsessed with your own work that you can't sort of think outside of it, I think taking a break to watch something or do an activity that you like sometimes helps clear your mind.
0: So a little little procrastination is good. Yeah. I think I said it wrong too. I think I just said (laughs) procrastination. I did it worse. I'm just going to move on. One of the robots wants to know, uh why are you an SJW and do you hate men? And I have an add-on to that, which is what is an SJW? <laughs> do you honestly not know? I really don't know. Oh, it
1: is a social justice warrior. Okay. Uh so it was the term was coined by assholes, uh, as I call them, or sure. <laughs> A-Hs. <laughs> <laughs> Those I know. <laughs> <laughs> on the internet is a reaction to like people on Tumblr saying things like hey, could you not say that about my ethnic group? Or, hey, you know how there aren't many movies with a female protagonist? I'd really like to change that. I see. Uh, So it was created as a sarcastic term to say, like, oh, social justice warrior, I was just trying to talk about Ghostbusters, and then the SJWs come in and make it all about their issues. Uh, (laughs) But I think that there's a decent amount of us, uh, myself included, who think, like, that's a really crappy insult because all those words are good. Right. Social, justice, and warrior. All good words. It must be said with sarcasm. It must be said with, like, an implied, like, masturbation gesture at the end. Like, social justice, warrior.
0: Mm -hmm. To be fair, how dare you stand up for the things that you believe in? (laughs) Exactly. And have an intrinsic sense of what's right and wrong.
1: Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I I sometimes hate myself (laughs) as a man. Good. uh, But I don't hate (laughs) men in general. Uh, and I think that yeah, I think the I think the question is coming from the perspective of a lot of people think that if somebody is a social justice warrior and wants things to be equal, right. that men are going to
0: somehow be punished for that. Like we'll lose stuff. I, right. yeah, I don't know. Well, you know the, the <laughs> it's it's about time that men get their day in the sun. <laughs> That's right. <It's>, there's <laughs> such a tenuous <laughs> grasp on power <laughs> and control and privilege in our society. Who will stand up for the man when yeah. he's brought down? and I
1: mean, I always thought I was raised by a, a woman with a strong personality. Uh, my grandmother had a strong personality, and I always had a sort of like, oh, and they both worked. Uh, and I, I always felt like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a feminist. I understand what this is. Um, but I'm really happy for like all of the current conversations to help me see how much of things that I just assumed – and didn't really think about because I assumed. I am super supportive of women. I understand that they're equal to men, but then when you look at the world and see, like, wow, the world does not
0: reflect that. <laughs> Do you think there is a line? I mean, you're active on Tumblr. Do you think there is a line where 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 the pendulum swings too far in either direction? I mean, obviously, the people who are using SJW are, you know, there's something they're either trying to compensate for yeah. or they just don't get it, but is there also... Have, has the has the internet created sort of a culture of of oversensitivity where we're where we're looking to be insulted to a certain extent? I don't, I'm not yeah. saying that because I believe it. I'm just I think curious. I
1: think if that exists, it's such a tiny percentage. Yeah. I think it, it's understandable to feel that way when you're somebody I think who totally means well and you say something that maybe you didn't understand was offensive to somebody. Right. Uh, like I'm one eighth native. Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a kickback against using uh, the term spirit animal. Right. Um, And I had never heard that, and I had a little bit of that defense of, like, uh, I'm one-eighth native, I'll say spirit animal for one. But then I was like, well, okay, well, I will stop and listen, and then, you know, you you evaluate. Is that really worthwhile? And think about it from somebody else's perspective. And I think the other thing is that uh, a lot of times when people bring something up, if you just answer back and say, hey, I didn't know. Why do you think that? And just make it a conversation. It's not an attack. Sure. I mean, it's basically just somebody saying, I'd rather you not call me that. That's not that awful of a thing to say. Right. It's like if you just like went, you started a job and you're like, hey, my name's Steve. And like, okay, but we're going to call you shithead. And you're like, (laughs) I think you're being reactionary. Like, no, my name is... Could you please call me Steve? It's, I actually don't like shithead. Well, we decided shithead. We don't mean any offense by it, but we're going to call you shithead. Like, it's cool, right? To me, that's basically what the conversation is. So when I think about it from that perspective, I really try to take a step back and at least listen. And, you know, maybe I don't agree every time, but I probably do, and I probably should.
0: Sure. Uh, well, th- what's interesting is the next question is almost directly related to this, which is, what is your favorite episode of Star Trek? <laughs> I wonder if it's the same person who did both questions.
1: I think it's the one where Captain Kirk literally says the line, there's no good way to hit a woman. (laughs) 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 Which is in like the third episode of the original series. Fantastic. It It was the 60s, everybody. (laughs) It is the 60s. I, I, uh... Was rewatching on Netflix a couple of episodes of the original series, and again, I, I kind of always knew that it was oh yeah, it was they were really progressive except for super sexist. Yeah. Uh, but then I watched it again. It was like wow, like that sexism in HD. It is crystal clear the sexism. Yep. In Star Trek. <laughs> uh, but I but i I think my favorite episode of Star Trek is basically uh, anything from Next Generation where Picard is having a hard time. because there's like that period in kind of season three season four where uh whatever constraints in terms of like gene roddenberry not wanting much conflict i think coincided with the whole world going holy shit he can act right let's do horrible things to yeah live a whole life that you can't remember (laughs) hey let's stab him in the heart let's torture him like just let's give him ptsd from (laughs) the borg yeah like let's just give him a paper cut on his testicles and just like that for a week
0: yeah, the, the early, he'll
1: find the pathos in that.
0: All they did during those first like eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine years was there was that one episode where he was in ten forward and couldn't get a dollar bill into the machine. Yeah. Just kept running it over his pant leg and refolding it, straightening yeah. it out.
1: He wasn't sure if he liked teens. That was his big conflict early on. Mm,
0: teens with their space skateboards. How dare they? Yeah. Um, okay, here's here's another one. This person wants to know. This is a good question. Very important. Why are chickens always funny and ducks funny about half the time?
1: I don't know if I can agree with the premise of the statement. I don't agree with the premise of the statement either. <laughs> it's a bit of yeah, a exactly. That's what I just sounded like.
0: <laughs> How about, well, then let's amend it. First of all, in defense of ducks, go ahead. I think ducks are very quietly funny. Mm-hmm. Ducks are like the straight men to chickens. <laughs> They're the Bud Abbots of yeah. the, the fowl <laughs> yeah, yeah. world.
1: Yeah, chickens are out there squawking and getting their heads cut off and running around, and ducks <laughs> are just quietly palling around going, look at me, I'm an idiot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think that
1: ducks are funnier? than Which do you prefer, ducks or chickens? Uh, I guess I think chickens are probably more intrinsically funny. But I think human sort of relationship with ducks
0: is funnier to me. Did you uh, did you ever know somebody who like was into ducks? I feel like that was a thing in the 80s. Like I'm really into mallards, so I have <laughs> wood carved duck things and I have like a sweater with a duck on it. Did you ever have, because you, you're you from uh, Minnesota. I'm from the Midwest. And there are yeah, yeah, a good Minnesota. number of ducks. There
1: are a decent amount of ducks. Uh, we used to live in a place that had a little creek in the back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there'd be ducks wandering around. And I always thought they were cool. It was like, oh, they can fly and swim. They can do it all. <laughs> they're like triple <laughs> threats. Uh, they can walk. Uh, but, no, there's so many in the Midwest duck paintings. And duck paintings that are trying to make you believe that they're classy or majestic of, like, Here's a painting of a duck landing in the water, with just this little foot, and there's water spray, and like, but they're they're ducks. Yeah, it's not like this majestic, you know. This does not belong in the Louvre, but just the way it's hung and presented in hotel rooms, every hotel room in the Midwest with a gilded frame, with a a, gilded frame, light on like ducks. Enjoy the majesty and over ulti- your minibar.
0: Ultimately, it's just, here's another duck. <laughs> yeah, really Saw that. Oh, that's the same one from the other picture, but a different angle. And it was probably painted by a guy who also likes to shoot them. <laughs> so there's also that, like, conflict. Every single duck painting with them in flight <laughs> is called Last Breath. <laughs> now, see, and then
1: it takes on some, like, meaning of, like, this is the beauty I took from the world,
0: so I'm putting it back in this painting. That's fair. Uh, okay. Oh, here. This is a good one. I was actually asking you. Uh, for those of you who are not in uh, Joseph's home right now, <laughs> he's got a lot of what I thought were a lot of Doctor Who uh, yes. DVDs, but apparently yes. are we're just scratching the surface. Yes. But this is a Doctor Who themed question. If you were going to introduce someone to Doctor Who, and that someone was a cat, <laughs> where would you start? <laughs>
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, I would probably start with a, this is classic Doctor Who, I'm assuming. You pick. Which Doctor? I'm going to say classic Doctor Who. I'm going to start with a uh, second Doctor episode, okay. Patrick Troughton, uh, mm-hmm. called The Mind Robber. Uh, it is a very surreal episode. Okay. Where there is sudden and odd movement on the screen for a lot of the episode. And I think <laughs> the cats would be engaged by the sudden surreal movement. <laughs> The TARDIS blows apart, and his companion Zoe, who wears this like sparkly spacesuit jumper, is a shot that they use again and again, where she is just clinging to the console as it spins through space. And I think <laughs> a cat would just want to bat at her. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> so all cats, probably most cats, would be Patrick yeah. Troughton fans. Yeah, either that or Blink from the new series. I, I, I could go with that. <laughs> That's a good answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna allow that. Okay. Oh, here this is a good one. Uh, Are there things that you are ashamed to be obsessed with? Uh,
1: There are things that I'm ashamed to talk about. Like, I'm okay with them for myself because I understand why I like them and where they fit in the world. Okay. Uh, But there are things that are like, uh, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, Mm -hmm. and I love Guns N' Roses. I actually like their music, uh, and it means a lot to me from the, you know, how I've sort of walked through life with it. Mm -hmm. But I am aware that some of their... uh, Actual statements in the music are horrific. So, like, I want to be careful to somebody saying, like, "I love Guns N' Roses." That song where they use the N word and the thing where they <laughs> say, "Oh, your only use is sex." That song is great. It's like, fantastic. So I understand that what it means to me that I've always heard those lyrics of, like, "Well, this is," I don't agree with these lyrics, but I like this beat. Uh, but I. <laughs> Leery to just, you know, own some of these things that I don't want people to think the wrong thing about my beliefs via
0: some of the art I like. Sure. That's more a reflection of, of the impact it had on you when you were younger. Not, when, not like you were a skinhead and like, thank goodness a mainstream band is using yeah. the N-word in their music and I yeah. can get along with it. But, I mean, I remember that album being released too and it had an impact because it sort of changed the game and crossed yeah. over from heavy metal in a way uh, that other bands hadn't.
1: Yeah, in, and they were they were real. Like, they, you know, like, poison, and everybody just seemed like, hey, we put a bunch of hairspray in our hair. And, like, mm-hmm. Guns N' Roses was like, no, really, uh, we uh, we started another riot, and, uh, yep, uh, we are high on drugs right now. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we just came from being homeless at a bus depot to yeah. being a band. Yeah, I
1: remember hearing, I, there's, like, some live clip from, like, Guns N' Roses got to do this, like, dream gig, uh, with the Rolling Stones and like Axl Rose and Mick Jagger were supposed to start a song together. And, like, wow, that's the pinnacle. And, like, before the song started, Axl spent a bunch of time bitching out other random members that he wouldn't name of Guns N' Roses for doing too many drugs. And to me, it was like, you're standing there with Mick Jagger, just sing the song, dude. But like to me, it's like true rebel. Like he didn't care. That's what he had to say then.
0: And now we know it was Steve Adler. <laughs> yes. For sure. Steve Popcorn Adler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were great... I, I there, We have a lot of questions to get to here, but there there used to be a series of comics that came out, I think in the late 80s, early 90s, that were all like rock and roll bios. So yeah. you could get like the Janis Joplin comic, and it was drawn like in as realistic a way as the artist could right. render. And I remember there being one for Guns N' Roses and... Like, Axl Rose getting into a bottle fight with a homeless guy who's like, welcome (laughs) to the jungle. And he's like, I'm going to make that a song one day. (laughs) It's a a little thought bubble. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, comics and their truth. (laughs) Thank you for your truth, that comic. Um, Oh, here's a good one. Do you... I'm sure as a comedian, you you take notes a lot or you mm-hmm. have some way of noting the things that yes. that you want to talk about so this person wants to know do you keep a journal of funny things in a note on your phone or do they come to you when you sit down to write what's your what's your process for for capturing and creating material uh, i used to
1: sometimes kind of note things in the back of my mind uh before phones and uh, my Uh, inability to pay attention or hold a thought, and I'd like the idea of this sort of, oh, I have two ideas when I sit down to the blank page, but then I'll write one line, and that will inspire the next line. I used to write like that, and I just, I can't anymore, and uh, I think it is partially the sort of the Twitterification of my mind, sure, Uh, but I think it's also just doing a lot of different things. Because it used to be like when I lived in Minneapolis and I mostly wrote like sketch comedy or plays, if an idea occurred to me, I would think, how can I capture that for a sketch or a play? Mm -hmm. But I'm doing so many different things now and something strikes me funny. I was sort of like, "Uh, is that stand-up? Is that stand-up for a convention, or would that be stand-up more for, like, a club in L.A.? Or is that a great idea for a podcast? Or maybe that should be, like, a YouTube video that would be, far- oh, God, I just want to die. You know, like, <laughs> uh, so I have to write things down, and I have to write them down in the proper place for the idea so I can find it later. Uh, yeah, and the worst, the worst part of my day ever is when I had an idea and didn't write it down fast enough. and can't remember what it was or which note file it should go in. <laughs>
0: Jeez, no, you're you're pretty prolific on Twitter, yeah. Like you're, and and Facebook too. Um, and it's really funny stuff. Have you ever is that has that become sort of a shorthand? Like, oh, I had a funny thought. I'm gonna send it out. Or are those like, to what extent do you labor over over that content?
1: Uh, sometimes it's from the hip, and sometimes if it's an idea I like, I am aware of. Like, I would like to get this right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes I will like if there's a funny idea. And especially if I want to perform it live, I will take the time to think, like, oh, what's, what's the best way to deliver this thought? Sure. Um, and then I think a lot with Twitter, it, you know, the reactionary thing is that's been a good exercise of, like, uh, like, today there is the, as we're recording this, there is the announcement that X-Files is coming back. Right. So, and then everybody attacks it right away on Twitter. And for me, I like to, like, take a moment and think about, like, what is actually funny to me about this? And then from that perspective, how can I make it make it funny? Like my actual knee jerk reaction.
0: Nice. That's a that's a refreshing change from like the the person who has to write first in the <laughs> YouTube comments. Yes. Like, I want to be writing middle? Middleish? Yeah. Right? You know, the middle's not, where the not good too stuff early, is. Not too soon. Yeah. That's where the dark wiggle room lies. <laughs> um Oh, okay, great. So you're, you're in L.A., the land of celebrities. Yes. Uh, this, is a, this is a fun question. Who would you most like to see walking their dog by your house in L.A.? <laughs> and I'm going to tag on to this. For the celebrity, what kind of dog are they walking?
1: Um, I would like to see Benedict Cumberbatch walking a dog that is so small it can barely be detected. <laughs> <laughs> like just so incredibly small. You have to like—is that a lizard?
0: No, it's a dog. He's walking a dog, <laughs> and would he be intensely walking this dog? Just yes. like <laughs> yes, he
1: would quickly glance to things and like take them in. He would be—he would be doing a Sherlock stick, basically.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Uh the most L.A. thing that I have said since I got here—I uh, went. I went to Portland to do a show with my friends, The Double Clicks, Mm -hmm. and uh, my friend Angela pointed out somebody walking a small dog and said, "Oh, look at that small dog. And I had to stop myself from saying, that's not a small dog. (laughs) There are really small dogs in LA, but A, it's a jerk thing to say, and B, what a dumb thing to brag about. (laughs) I saw
0: somebody walking a dog embryo down (laughs) sunset. You haven't seen Truly Tiny Dog. Until
1: uh, you've been in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> they have to feed it with an eyedropper. <laughs> you can really only see it if the light hits it the right way. It's just so <laughs> tiny.
0: Oh, come, Benedict Cumberbatch and your small I dogs. love Benedict Cumberbatch. I love him. I mean,
1: he's an amazing actor. He, he clearly brings like a, a great sense of intensity, but also a great sense of humor yeah. to everything he does, and he just seems to handle his like intense fame really really well and he just
0: seemed like an awesome dude and oddly now that I think about it in everything I've ever seen him do I can totally imagine him holding and petting a small dog <laughs> during, like his tear-filled performance as Khan when he's like they took my people and they put them and he's just petting a dog or the but they can't game but can take my chihuahua <laughs> yeah we must solve the equation petting a dog <laughs> now I'm gonna be really upset if there's no dog in, in Doctor Strange oh there absolutely should be he he can open some sort of dog
1: dimension portal, and the tiny dogs can come spilling out. I'm so stoked about him being uh, Doctor Strange.
0: Yeah, that's it. That is exciting. That's I was going to say Professor character. Strange, Doctor Strange. <laughs> he didn't go to medical school to become a <laughs> professor, Joseph.
1: <laughs> he could have like teaching
0: assistants. <laughs> Remember when he was teaching assistant Strange? <laughs> that was really awkward for him. <laughs> that's your new project. That'll be the next Patreon exclusive. <laughs> um. Let's see. Oh, this is a good one. This is a fun one for any comedian to relive. Have you ever been booed off stage? <laughs> and if so, how did you handle it? Well, it seems like the answer is
1: implied in that. If you've been booed off stage, you handle it by getting the fuck off stage. <laughs> but,
0: but no. like, did it burn a whole... Like, was it tough to get back up on stage oh. or...
1: I've never been I've never been booed off. Okay. Um, I have been glared
0: at to the point where I would like to leave now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost worse to get no reaction. Have you done like gone up, like maybe in the first couple times you did stand up, had that experience where the audience just wasn't either you hadn't quite turned the corner yet, or it just was the wrong audience for the material. you were I, presenting. I think
1: about the wrong audience for the material thing a lot because I do a lot of different kinds of shows uh, over the years, and that's the thing to me of like I think people want to find the what is truly funny and like what, what is truly funny is really different, different people, different times, different moods. Mm-hmm. I think the, the worst thing that I did was, uh, when I was doing, uh, a lot with the Minnesota fringe festival in Minnesota, uh, there was a time where they're kind of asking some of their bigger name artists to like do outreach stuff to help the festival. And I wanted to, and sometimes it would be fun or interesting. Of like, Hey, we're, we're doing a showcase at the library and you know, Do some pratfalls for some kids, and it'd be great and fun. Uh, And then I got sent to do, for like some business people in downtown Minneapolis who were thinking of giving some money to the fringe, I got sent to do just a bit of sort of a one-man sketch material. Was What was asked of me was like, okay, I'll figure out what that is. <laughs> and it was like, I can't remember what it was. It was like Merrill Lynch or something. Like people were talking about like money, 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 Excel spreadsheets, money, 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 money. <laughs> and now uh, this gentleman from the Minnesota Fringy Festival is going to
0: <laughs>
1: amuse us with some comedy, I guess. And yeah. And I did some like sort of esoteric bit about, what is funny and what isn't funny and why. And ironically, it was just, it wasn't even that it wasn't funny to them. It was just sort of like in the middle of a meeting and they just wanted it to be over yeah. as soon as possible. And, like, I felt like a cartoon where, like, you know, the, where, like, a hungry person is staring at a person and they turn into, like, a piece of chicken. And it was just sort of like, I was just, they were just staring at me and I was turning into whatever they wanted to happen next in their life. <laughs>
0: So, like, a vacation or the door to the outside? <laughs> yeah.
1: And the bit ended, I decided, like, I need a big ending, so it's going to end with a pratfall. So I just, like, threw myself on the floor in this boardroom, oh, and then they all no. just sort of, like, looked down at me. And then I got up and was like, well, that's that's it. I'm like, well, thank you for the comedy. Anyway, money, money, money excels.
0: <laughs> Did you have that moment where you're on the ground and you heard... <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's the worst. That's maybe the. Maybe that's worse than booing. Booing uh, is bad, and then silence is worse, and then that lone cough. Yeah. Somebody's like, I better fill this. Uh, I got to fill this in with a cough or yeah, something. Yeah, the
1: only way I can fill this in is just sort of like the ugliness of my body. Maybe that would <laughs> yeah.
0: make this better. It's just see what to- not funny, but I do have asthma. How can I make this work for everybody? I'm not funny, but I have That's asthma. I have. That's the calling card of a generation. So, okay. Uh, what thing are you disinterested in? in let me say that again. Here we go. <laughs> Just gonna assume you're editing, but now I kinda hope you're not. What thing are you disinterested in to the point that you're actually kind of obsessed with not being interested in it at all? Like you make a point of of not liking it or or avoiding it? Uh I think maybe like baseball. Okay.
1: I don't dislike baseball. Um and and I I like to be uh uh understanding that people who love sports love it yep. the way I love Star Wars or Doctor Who and, and be cool about it. In uh, like, fantasy football kind of fascinates me because it's enough of a sort of gamification. Yeah. Um, but I think for baseball, when I had that sort of realization that a truly great, amazing baseball game to be appreciated is one where nothing happens, <laughs> where no one gets on base. Yes. You know, a man throws a ball and then... A person swings and misses for hours, and then the crowd goes nuts.
0: It's just, to me, sort of like, nah, I can't. I can't get on board with that. So you're like, you will not go out of your way necessarily, but be like, I'm not going to watch baseball, and I will let you know, because now we're in, like, baseball's about to start yeah that's like oh baseball again
1: yeah and i'm kind of fascinated with it by it's the sort of like you know even more than football that that weird association that it's you know mom and baseball and apple pie and like that's truly american and like why is baseball so american and it's so weird i mean that in every other (laughs) thing we're sort of like well i hated that movie because there weren't enough explosions and it was kind of slow and there were subtitles like like baseball is the subtitles of sports. It's designed to be slow and sort of you have to put effort into viewing it, you know?
0: Well, as as a baseball fan, but also <laughs> oh, but sorry. also a nerd. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to punch your face. All right, no, I, that's uh, fair. No, it's fair. I think this is like my wife is not a baseball fan and she and I'm not a base, like a huge baseball fan, but I I appreciate it and I enjoy it very much. If you ever if you ever really want to make baseball exciting, watch the Ken Burns documentary about it. And I'm not kidding, but but I realize saying it, it's like, it's slow music and people reading letters. There's no better way to get into sports than with, with an 18 or 50 hour documentary about it. But it is actually like an interesting, it gives you a historical perspective. So it's not like... I better really be into yeah. what's happening. You under you you at least come out of it with an understanding of of why people connect with it on the level that they do. Cool.
1: Yeah, Ken Burns can make just about anything interesting. Yes.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if he could make baseball watchable to an entire group of people, because it is, it can be a real slow game and real boring. Like I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you at all.
1: Yeah, I've had people tell me like they like to go to the stadium because you eat hot dogs and drink beer, and then everyone's I look down there, and there's some people running around. Maybe
0: <laughs> it is nice to go. That is the one sport where you can go to the game and just be like, this is a real nice. This, this game's a real nice background for us having a conversation, <laughs> which really, why spend the money? Just go to a park where a bunch of kids it's, are playing. It's
1: sort of like your desktop screensaver. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I hope that baseball player hits the corner exactly, he keeps bouncing <laughs> off the two walls.
1: <laughs> Someday. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I would happily go to a baseball game with you, Hal Lovelin. Well, we're going to do
0: it. It's awesome. The season is upon us. We're going to go to a Dodgers game. Neither of us likes the Dodgers. What's the point? Here's a question from a Facebook <laughs> robot who wants to know what's the funniest thing you've heard. Oh, I feel like uh there a noise
1: is being looked for. Um I think that uh the like the noise right when somebody slips and is shocked by it. The, ah! <laughs> I think that's my favorite. The funny noise. They, not when they land and like, oof, but the, ah!
0: Like <laughs> It's basically the human way of saying, I've lost my control. I have no dignity. <laughs> uh, you would appreciate this then. I was driving like, through Beverly Hills to get across town. And there was an area where there was a nice little island. of so you could make a right turn onto a street or okay. continue on. And a guy was on a bicycle and he pulled up to that island and stopped and I guess only the front brakes on his bike were, were working because slowly he started to rise up and crest the top of the wheel. And the whole time you're watching, it was like this seems really slow for this to happen. And he's watching it, going, "I have no control." Until eventually, he spilled over. He was fine. He got up and was okay, which makes the story happy. But it was like the slowest version of that noise you can imagine. <laughs> that, that is awesome. I, I feel like. Uh, oh. Stanley Kubrick directed that fall. Like, <laughs> the 2001 of yeah. Pratt Falls. I have a question for you that's sort of adjunct to this. Do you think farts are funny? Uh,
1: I think that, yes, I think they're intrinsically funny, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. But I feel like we have overused them. Yes. I feel like farts are like J.J. Uh, Abrams' lens flare jokes. of They are an intrinsically <laughs> humorous observation of like, especially in that 2009 Star Trek. like Yes, that's way too many. It is funny that the Enterprise would always be that bright and you can't look anywhere you'd be blinded. Yeah. But once it gets beaten into the ground, and I feel like for me, we've beaten farts into a ground to the point where I need some sort of like fresh take on. <laughs> I'm not going to say a hot take. Uh, a fresh take on on like the angle of the humor of the fart because it sure. is
0: intrinsically funny, but it's oh, it's been overdone. That's fair. I'll, I'll accept your premise. Okay, now I have. This is Hal free time. It's listed on the. as listed on the script. I've reached the mandatory Hal free time. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to run around outside, and you guys just listen. No, I have a list of things here about which I assume you are you are obsessed.
1: Yeah, because people ought, sometimes ask me what I'm actually obsessed with. Uh, so I made a list of things that I feel like I've been genuinely obsessed with, and you can ask me about, any of them
0: or none of them, or whatever you want, Hal. I have one here that I think I, think I already had a sense of. Uh, you have my own comedy shows, and the reason why I have a sense <laughs> of it is not because, you know, you think about that, and, and somebody might assume, well, that's ego, but I think from seeing you, from the shows that I've done with you, it's you wanting them to go to go well. Like, you yes. want to make sure the mics are working, that the lights are right, that everybody knows where they're supposed to be. Is that is that what that means?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I think about them a lot. I think about who is the audience going to be after they've happened. Like, if it's a show that's ongoing, or I'm going to do more than once, I really think about what worked well, why, how can I tweak it, what is what is uh, the part of the show that, that's just the way I want it to be, and I need to make it work, or what is the part that the audience has told me that doesn't work, and I need to tweak that. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah I I I am aware from a young age that I'm super intense about the details because I just I ha, I hate it when everyone on stage is killing but the mic cord is a little loose so <laughs> none of the amazing shit that my friends are doing matters Because somebody didn't check the mic cord because we were too busy backstage making duck and fart jokes. (laughs) So for me, I have this obsession ahead of time of, like, I am kind of, like, militant and not (laughs) super fun before the show because I want the show to be great. You know, and not have some dumb little thing make it so the show is not awesome.
0: I I remember uh, when we, at Dragon Con this past year, we we did an improv show where instead of having lapel mics, we had, like, three handheld mics, uh-huh. so it felt like we were braiding each other every time <laughs> we, we yes. walked around, and it was very much like, all right, how do we get this fixed? But to your credit, had you not had that attention to detail, I don't think it would have went as well as it did. So it's definitely, do you see that as as an advantage, or does it sometimes get in the way? Like, are you able, is it hard for you to enjoy it as it's happening?
1: Uh, the actual shows. Yeah, more often than not, uh, I really, really can enjoy the show. It's it's the the before the show. Um, I basically, I mean, I've done enough producing that I have a hard time turning off my producer brain. Right. Uh, so if there's something that's like clearly wrong in the middle of the show that should be addressed, I will be taken out of the moment. But like, but the DragonCon show was a great example. Like, we asked for lapel mics. It's a big convention. We didn't get lapel mics, or we had like two out of four, so we tried them, but there was feedback mm-hmm. and. You know, and then we tried uh, wireless handheld, uh, but there was horrific feedback, you know, and then (laughs) and everybody, like a bunch of people were trying to sort of like make it work. And for me, it's like, no, just give us the wired mics because then, like you said, we'll dance around trying not to trip and kill one another. Right. But as far as the audience knows, we are saying funny things while (laughs) holding the mics. They can hear us. We can go. And then, yeah, I enjoy the hell out of that show. Yeah. that actual show was like super great and super fun. You were hilarious. Everybody in it was hilarious. So were you. Aw,
0: everyone except Aaron. Just <laughs> kidding, JK Aaron. I <laughs> hurt you. Um, does it does it bother you to that end because you're so hyper aware if something doesn't go well if the mic uh, mic cord is loose and somebody comes up to you from the audience after the show and says I don't know if you're aware. But the mic cord was loose. <laughs> couldn't really hear what was going on. Does that does that to a certain extent drive you crazy?
1: I just kind of want to be able to have like a Vulcan mind meld with that person and get them to like all the flashes of feeling of you have no idea how much I tried. Like I know, and I tried, and I'm so sorry. Like that's how I feel about it. Of like, and if somebody pushes the issue,
0: then I get pissed. Yeah. Like, that's did a you know? Stance, like, though. Uh, yeah, I did, and I tried. I tried, <laughs> motherfucker. <Yeah. laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, this is a good one because I actually fall into this too. Collecting action figures. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, as a kid, I had action figures. I loved them. It was great. Uh, and then in the mid-90s, the uh, they started putting out new Star Wars action figures. The Power of the Force. The Power of the Force. And it was great for me because, I, you know, I, I was uh, in college and I had, like, jobs so I could afford them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that became, like, a mania. Uh, to the, that it, was, it was that sort of—I uh, do enjoy the action figures. I like them very much. Um, but, you know, I couldn't collect them all when I was a kid. So I wanted to collect them all, and the companies knew that, and they started putting out so many action figures. There's no <laughs> way that you could actually collect them all. And, you know, for for college, I had gotten scholarships and I had gotten student loans, uh, so I just got checks that were supposed to pay for school. Sure. Uh, but then I had, like, some financial aid to back, back it up. So in theory, what a normal human should have done is Taking the financial aid in the moment and then immediately turned around, saved that money, and dumped it into paying off. But I just, you know, spent it on Star Wars action figures <laughs> and uh, records, and so vinyl records.
0: So there's like a sliding doors of Dave Ramsey, where in one world he he goes off to become a famous finance figure that tells <laughs> people how to save money, and in the other hand, it's like, well, I have to get the other Chewbacca because <laughs> the hair on his chest is covering uh, more of his bandolier.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Do you... Now, the, the Power of the Force, that first set, that was Hasbro, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, Kenner had already been absorbed by Hasbro.
0: When you compare it to the Kenner figures, obviously they're more like all of a sudden Luke is the most muscular. Like everybody <laughs> looks like they're turning into the Hulk to a certain extent. Yeah. Do you... Do you have a preference of the Power of the Force over those original Kenner figures?
1: There was a sweet spot where... So when the Power of the Force came out, I think it was like 95. Mm-hmm. So it was, even, it was kind of a ramp up to the special editions even. And clearly Hasbro was like, mm, people don't really care remember that much about Star Wars. So we need to make Luke and even Darth Vader. Darth Vader looks like a Jesse Ventura action figure with <laughs> black spray paint. Uh So they made them muscular, and they're kind of dumb. And then they immediately decreased that. And then I would say, you know, right around Phantom Menace, right around 1999, they hit this sweet spot to me of they looked accurate, but they didn't have too many uh, articulated joints. Yes. So there are some, like, some Luke Skywalkers and some Yodas from right around then that are, like, perfect. Uh, And then kind of, uh, I would say, uh, around, like, 2005, around Revenge of the Sith, they got into like, using this technology to scan the actual actors. And while it was technically more accurate, it got into uncanny valley territory of sort of like, that is Mark Hamill's face, but it's small and made of plastic. (laughs) And, oh, wow, you can bend his leg in 18 places, but then you see the joints, and he just looks, oh, yeah. And they got way too sort of meticulous for me. Uh, So, yeah, so I broke the habit uh, around uh, 2004.
0: Okay. And I stopped. Well, I hate to break you back into it, but I just <laughs> want you to know that if you go to like the Rose Bowl for their antique market, really, or if you go down to Long Beach, Uh-oh. they have carded, for those of you who don't know, carded is, it's still in the card, like it's in its original packaging, Yeah. cardboard backing with the plastic bubble. You could probably find carded Power of the Force figures for like a dollar or two dollars a piece. Oh, really? They're yeah. cheap? Okay. They're they're super cheap. Now the same guy, you'll have a guy who will sell the original Kenner, like if you have a, a 12-back... Darth Vader. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the original uh, Canada line was 12 figures, released in 78 or 79. Yeah, 78. And, and uh, you could get like a, a little stand for them and stuff, but there were only 12 figures. So those early figures, their cards only had 12 figures on the back. So when you hear people talk about it, this is a, like a 12-back, a 39-back, a 64-back. But yeah. anyway, like those are like $1,500. Yeah.
1: I mean, still in the package. Yeah, because yeah. nobody had any idea that they would be of this kind of ridiculous value. And
0: I kind of want them all. It's kind of a motivation <laughs> to become rich. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll have all of the Kenner dolls. The
1: way someday. that I uh, that I got around it, uh, I, I just got to a point of like, well, I'm. this is taking up... It got to me for the point of like it's taking up too much money. Mm-hmm. I am sometimes using it when I'm having a hard time in life instead of sort of addressing what's wrong with me. I'll sit and think of like, what Star Wars action figure haven't they made yet? <laughs> <laughs> like, Sometimes it was a good thing and sometimes was, eh, I'm using this in a way I shouldn't. Uh, but then... Uh, I still go to the, like, toy aisle when I go to Target. Absolutely. And I realize, like, I just like that they exist. I like looking at them, and, like, I take a picture of them. Yeah. And then every once in a while, if there's one that's just amazing, I would say since 2005, I think I've bought, like, for Star Wars action figures. So I just like wait for the one that's just like, that is so weird and so funny and so just bizarre that they made that. I'm going to buy that one.
0: What is one of those figures?
1: Uh, They made the action figure of the small character in Empire Strikes Back that is portrayed by John Ratzenberger from Cheers and Pixar. Sure. Pixar. Uh, And the character's name is Major Bren (laughs) Derlin. For people who don't know. He, he says a couple lines. He's the one who tells Leia that they have to close the the shield doors on Hoth. Uh, he says the line, everyone to your stations, let's go, after Leia briefs them on the Hoth
0: escape plan. And isn't he dubbed by a British actor? Or am I thinking of Superman and Superman I too? think,
1: I, I, don't, I don't know. I've never looked it up. But to my ear, there's one line like, that's Cliff Claven trying to do a British accent. And there's one line like, that's an actual British voice. Like, I think, <laughs> I don't think it's accurate across... But like, yeah, it's in the the company knew like they're not putting this across as a serious action figure. It's Cliff Clavin in a hoth outfit.
0: I kind of wish he had been. Uh, You know, normally a (laughs) Wookiee will uh, climb right up a tree. They got claws underneath that fur. Not a lot of people know. Uh, If only. Uh, Here's one. (laughs) There are two here that I that I have some questions about. Let's start with um, Kinkos. (laughs) Are you obsessed with them because you hate them, or do you love them?
1: Well, I, I tried to make a list of things that I had been obsessed with throughout my entire life okay. and try to think of, like, what what are the things I was obs- obsessed with. And anyway, when sure. I got out of college, I got a job at Kinko's, and I got sort of accidentally sucked into it. Uh, is because- it like a cult? <laughs> <laughs> Kinko's is like the Freemasons. I don't know. If you oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you have a ring? Yeah. It's like, it's Scientology with toner. Yeah. Fantastic. You know. uh, no, I, I just needed a job, and I applied at some jobs, like, some better jobs for, like, I applied at a place like, write uh, descriptions of movies on the back of, like, cheap videos that were being made and, like, cool things. In uh, and, and those jobs weren't coming through because I just had a weird liberal arts degree. So yeah. I started at Kinko's for $7 an hour uh, and then very quickly rose to the ranks and became an assistant manager and was making, like, good money and then doing all of my comedy stuff at night and on the side. Uh it, 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 there were parts of it that were really, really good. Uh, my first manager was kind of insane, and he had he wanted to make the store profitable. So we would have meetings, and he would just say "Hungry, hungry hippo," and that was <laughs> his way to say we take anything, no matter how insane, no matter how quick the turnaround time is. You push yourself to do it, and if you can't do it, you know you call another Kinko store and ask them to do it. Uh, and at first, I was like, "This is nuts. This guy is insane." But it was sort of my whiplash moment. Of like he he found some stuff in me that I didn't think I had of like, uh, yeah. oh, it's gonna take me a little while to figure out this machine, and you'd just be like, No, you have to you have five minutes, figure it out, go. <laughs> and then I did, and it gave me a lot of confidence and it was fun for a while because it had that sort of weird you know, it was a high stress job. It was in downtown Minneapolis, so this is when copies were still like actually mattered. Yeah. Um and my most intense Kinkos thing is there's a light rail system in Minnesota now. Uh, but before, at like I was there working the second shift, so it was at like mm, 7.45 at night, and a dude came in with these 11 by 17, uh, basically, uh, the plans for the light rail system. Okay. In uh, the 11 by 17, there's no sheet feeder on the copy machine, so that means you have to hand place them. Okay. Uh, so he said... You have 15 minutes to make this. I'm going to the final meeting with the city council. If you cannot make these plans in 15 minutes, there will not be a light rail system in Minneapolis. Wow. And he might have been full of shit. But it was sort of like, (laughs) that's the kind of attitude and energy you got from people. Of like, you were making and breaking their lives. Wow. And then while you were like running around trying to, to like make sure that the city had a light rail system, or this business guy who is clearly on cocaine didn't lose, you know, his hundred thousand dollar a year job. Then a little old lady would come in, she's like, "Can you make these copies of my recipes?" You know, so you'd have to like balance both of those things. Sure. Yeah.
0: I like the idea that you're the man who's responsible for the light rail system. I think I did in my Minneapolis. Part. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> Thank uh, you, kiddos. I, yeah. I also imagine a room full of people going hungry hungry hippos <laughs> hungry hungry hippos yeah it, yeah uh,
1: it was great you were a and precious and then it, was, and, child. Then it got, and then it got and then it got really kind of i got a different
0: manager and it got worse and you hightailed it out yep all right i'll accept that as an answer <laughs> uh how about frank sinatra uh
1: i love frank sinatra i came to him i just did a podcast about this uh comedy on vinyl uh mm-hmm. the comedy on vinyl podcast very fun um They asked people to talk about a comedy album that meant a lot to them, but a lot of people had done sort of some of the standard things that I liked, like Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin, so I wanted to come up with something weird, and there's a Sinatra album where he has a monologue. It's a live album, and he talks to the audience for 11, 12 minutes. So I talked about that. (laughs) Uh, But basically, I had come to Sinatra sort of as a joke, thinking he was funny. I liked Phil Hartman's impression of him on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the more I listened to his music, the more I was just like, oh, this is actually amazing, awesome music. And <laughs> just as a musician, like, you hear it. It's it's so hackneyed now to say, but, like, he interprets the lyrics better than any musician. He doesn't just sing the words. He, like, puts the emotion into them. Yeah. So for when, when I was first listening, like, in his great period at Capitol, he did swinging albums, mm-hmm. and he did saloon song albums, which meant they were either just, like, this great, huge expression of joy, and you could hear the joy in his voice, or they were so... Just horribly, this woman broke up with me and there is nothing left of me. I'm a destroyed shell. And, you know, as I was sort of coming into adulthood and experiencing those things, it was amazing to hear this man from way back in the past who had captured all those emotions with a different style of music and all that.
0: Great. Uh, Do you have a favorite Sinatra uh, song or performance? Or? I really love the album Come Dance With Me. Okay. Uh, it is his
1: later period at Capitol, and it is one of his sort of swingiest, uh and it is, it's very driving, very... It's kind of as forceful as he gets. It's as close as swing can get to rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, so I really like it because it has sort of like the attitude and energy of rock and roll with all the sort of sophistication of the swing beat in the Tin Pan Alley era.
0: Nice. Yeah. Wow, you're really into like I like the Capitol era, and you're really taking oh, us through. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and then the personal part of it, I you know, once I got into his music, I started to read up about him, and discovered that he was a scrawny little guy too. And I had been a scrawny little guy my whole life, so I just really, actually related to like sort of his journey of of finding himself and being
0: comfortable with himself. Yes. And one day you hope to have a group of male friends that you can go take a steam with. (laughs) Exactly. Take a steam with. Take a steam. Have a schvitz, (laughs) as they say. Uh, I used to do, little side note, I used to do an improvised talk show um, that a friend of mine had created, and I would come on and do bits with the musical director. I did one where I would play Murray Wilson, essentially, (laughs) from the Beach Boys' uh, father of (laughs) Brian Wilson. And I would come in and 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 play the music uh, the keyboard player's father and just berate him. But another thing I would do was come in as Frank Sinatra's ghost and <laughs> improvise songs about uh, about different things. Oh, that's awesome! Which is always fun. That's awesome. To yeah, try and capture
1: that style. Yeah. And over the years, as I think happens to everybody who has that sort of longevity, he turned into a little bit of a cartoon of himself, and that's what what we remember. But there's a lot of cool stuff besides some of the late era. Yeah, Sinatra that we remember.
0: And a good actor. He was a he was a very good actor. An
1: amazing actor. And I, and I related to his acting thing too because he he called himself one take Charlie because he <laughs> wanted to have like have it all in the moment. He wanted to experience it in the moment. He didn't want to rehearse it much. He hated doing multiple takes. Wow. That yeah. I did not know. Yeah. Oh, he wanted to so murder Marlon Brando when they did Guys and Dolls because <laughs> Marlon Brando was like the yeah. method actor.
0: Give me thirty more takes. Yeah, and Thatcher just
1: wanted to be, just hey, I got, I, I, got it now. I do it now. I, will go and I'm done. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he gives the better performance, and I think he acts circles around Marlon. Brando By a, a lot, yeah. You know, see, he got the sense of humor of the film, yeah. and the genre also. Like, yeah. Oh, that luck be a lady tonight is uh, hilarious to me. <laughs> it really Marlon is. Marlon a song. Um, let's do a couple. We can do a couple more of these, right? Sure. Yeah. Tell me about Teen Titans. Are you talking about the animated series or the comic series? the comic book
1: series. That was the first comic book I collected. Really? And I was super into that. Yeah. Uh, So it it was uh, basically like Marvel had been really successful for years giving more personal life to their superheroes. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time DC really doubled down on New, it's gonna be basically like a soap opera with people who can run fast and shoot beams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh and I started collecting it at a very, very young age. Uh the issues where Robin first becomes Nightwing, Mm -hmm. the character that Dick Grayson is now. Uh yeah, so it just it just resonated with me and it was the first time that I like used my allowance to collect things. So it was the first time that I figured out money and like I made a budget. For action figures, or not for action figures, but for comic books to figure out, you know, how many back issues of Teen Titans I could afford on a given day. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then eventually at conventions, I met the writer, Marv Wolfman. Awesome. uh, And did a sketch about the Teen Titans in front of him. And And did he love it? uh, He did. Marv Wolfman is a, like, very stereotypical older new york gentleman so he was like hey eh, way to make fun of me guys like and he was very jokey with us and I, di- I did the fan thing that i've never done to anybody else I'm like do you remember this line from issue nine that's really stuck with me he's like written thousands of comic books kid no i don't remember that line that's meaningless to
0: me how dare you
1: well anyway it means a lot to me oh uh, well i don't care Anyway, you're going to get me a hot dog? What's going on here? I'm from New York. I like pizza. That was pretty much it. Like,
0: oh, okay. So if you meet Marv Wolfman, just uh, talk to him about how great Times Square used to be. And (laughs) he'll talk to you for hours on end. Exactly. Exactly. There's one other here that I wanted to ask you about. Oh, uh, tell me about the Twin Peaks.
1: Oh, I love Twin Peaks. I, uh, yeah, so Twin Peaks was also just like, I saw it at a formative age. I really admired Dale Cooper because he was uh, th- like this great idea of what a man could be, mm-hmm. and good with a gun, charming, but also kind and sensitive and all that. And just like the, sort of the romantic dream stuff and the quirky stuff. Um, I think Twin Peaks kind of helped me ease into wanting to do comedy because it was not straightforward comedy. Okay. It wasn't like a set up knockdown joke it was sort of the comedy of the weirdness of the human condition. Right. Uh and that really resonated with me.
0: Do you think you have it uh, if I'm not mistaken I saw the box set over there yeah, somewhere. Ha- yeah, I have it on DVD and then I bought the new Blu-ray set too. There you go. So do you do you think rewatching it like I like I enjoyed the show a lot and we recently did uh five truths and yeah. a lie together where you told a story um involving a book that I that I own <laughs> and have read and Uh, When I watched it back, when I when I first got the DVDs, it struck me how dated that it that it felt like. In a sense, it doesn't hold up, but that's also the charm of it. Like it doesn't need to hold up; it's sort of out of time to a certain extent. How do how do you feel about that?
1: um, I I have watched it so many times that I I have a hard. I have to give myself like a good chunk of time. Like I haven't watched it in like five or six years, Mm -hmm. and my wife and I are going to watch it again soon on the Blu-rays, and I think I'll probably have a better perspective. Um, but I, it's interesting to me that like pacing it's super slow of like, cut, cut, cut. We've been looking at that facial expression. We know how Dale Cooper feels. And even for like David Lynch weirdness, it's sort of like, yes, we got that three seconds ago. Cut. Uh, and it doesn't bother me. It's just a sort of a stylistic observation. Yeah. Then there's the technological stuff of like, yeah, the mystery probably would have been solved in five minutes with a smartphone kind of thing that, (laughs) that plagues any old mystery. Of like, yeah, just, uh, well, let's look on Laura's uh, smartphone where she's been. And, oh, okay, she went to the drink? Great, got it, got yeah. it. That's you, that's you, what happened.
0: You guys, I saw Wendell Merle's Instagram account. <laughs> I don't think he ever should have been in the FBI. It seems like that was a big mistake yeah, on our part. Yeah, he's got a thing for stabbing.
1: We should have found that <laughs> in his special skills on the resume that he put on LinkedIn. Uh, but but I think it's also incredibly modern feeling In that it gave birth to, I think, a lot of the more, the idea of being an auteur on television. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of the directors um, went on to direct things. Like, one of the the directors who did a lot of episodes in Twin Peaks directs a lot of episodes of Homeland. And, like, you'll still find a lot of those directors working and bringing that sort of auteur perspective that started with Twin Peaks to all of our sort of must-see TV.
0: Yeah. Um, One more question about Twin Peaks. Does it still terrify you? I I like it terrified me. There's certainly parts of it that like the dream sequence certainly the most harrowing finale to a series ever. Yes. Like really creepy and part part of that maybe is because we don't understand quite what's happening. Not everything is really explained. Yeah, I think
1: that I think that uh it's almost always the Lynch directed episodes that reach that level of touching on something incredibly primal, you know if you were just to describe it to a person is there's a guy wearing a jean jacket and his hair is dirty you'd be like ha 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 great key and peel sketch like about the 80s like no it is the most terrifying thing you have ever seen because of just i think lynch has a really intrinsic sense of a lot of emotions but certainly fear in that fear of the unknown where like you can kind of see what is happening. You can mm-hmm. see what is happening enough to determine what's going on, but not enough to act on it. Yes. And I think that's what he captures of this unidentified horror is coming. Oh, you identified it. But that doesn't even help you. You don't see any weakness. You can't do anything. There's not a, like, in video games, a flashing spot on, <laughs> <laughs> on Killer Bob where you're supposed to punch him Yeah, to take some hit points, you uh, know.
0: Do you know the story of Killer Bob? Yeah. That's for, for anybody who doesn't know, do you want to tell our listeners? The you story? go ahead. Okay. Uh, the the guy who played Killer Bob, who I think his name was Richard Silva? Yeah, maybe? Frank Silva. Frank Silva. He was a set decorator or a prop master on the show. Yeah. Who David Lynch saw the reflection of in a mirror and got terrified. And then was like, hey, guess what? You're going to be <laughs> in our show as Killer Bob. And t- to the guy's credit, for someone who wasn't really an actor, he is, t- and he's since passed. Yeah. He was terrifying. Yeah. So terrible. And part of that is because you've never seen him in anything before. You will You will never see him in anything after. He only exists in that world. Yeah, you're right. You can't be like,
1: oh, yeah, and then years later I saw him on Law and Order. Yeah, oh, it's like, just Mark eh. Ruffalo. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to move. Yeah, let's move on to the. I want to find out, Joseph Scrimshaw, for somebody who talks about obsession so much. Let's find out how obsessed you are with yourself. Excellent. So I'm going to ask you these questions that <laughs> you normally ask other people. Only fair. You're 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 about to be hoisted on your own petard. Buy it. Who knows? I got that wrong. <laughs> hoisted by my own petard. We'll edit that back in. Um, <laughs> do you think about yourself every day? Well, yeah. Come on. <laughs> but like, and are you like? You know what? I did a good job. I deserve to watch those those nine hours of Doctor Who, or is oh, like... I rarely
1: think that. You're I, like... I think I didn't earn this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> 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 you know, I'll make up for it tomorrow. Okay. I I am a very analytical person in general, so yes, I I don't just think about myself in terms of like I'm hungry, I should eat me, but I think about yes, you do I deserve to eat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <shit>. oh <laughs> if
0: only I'd done better. I, that was a really bad bite of that cracker. Yeah, I know I could have done better. I know I could have. <laughs> Um, do you spend a lot of money on self-improvement? And if so, where do you spend that money? Uh, no, actually, I, I don't. <laughs> Have you ever done anything, like gotten the four agreements or uh, uh, nope. the secret? None of that? Oh, You've... good God, no. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't like the Secret. Uh, Why, are you afraid that people are going to, like, turn into fire starters because they're making things happen with their minds? If I thought that, I'd be into the secret. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, it's that
1: I, I do think that, that you have to think positively, and thinking positively affects your mood, is mm-hmm. in, like, the chemicals in your brain. Yeah. Uh, but I think just thinking positively, I, I, I think there's a danger of thinking positively in a way that doesn't make you accurately analyze what is actually going on. Right, so like going back to like the the shows and the mics, mm-hmm. like uh, somebody said, like, "Hey, don't worry about it; it'll work out." At one point, when the mics had been feeding back and then they weren't, and they were like, "Problem solved!" <laughs> like, no, I'm not gonna the <laughs> secret this. Yes, it's been two minutes since there was horrible feedback, but I'm accurately analyzing the problem. And if there is horrible feedback in the middle of the show, it's gonna take people out of the show. So yeah, yeah, yeah I don't like that. Uh, I have uh, some weights that I bought, I think, when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been doing a better job of using them to work out a little bit. But besides that, yeah,
0: no. So I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> um, would you discuss yourself with Hitler? Are you that obsessed?
1: Yeah, see, so I'm, this, I wanted to do these questions because I think it's, it's fair turnabout.
0: But now look what's happened.
1: But the, everybody, almost everybody who gets asked this question... Sometimes people just say no, but for the most part, they try to sort of metagame it and figure out, like, can I make that a positive? Right. Um, but it was honestly travel back in time and just find Hitler and just tell him why I like drumming. <laughs> <laughs> You know, okay, uh, probably I probably
0: will.
1: <laughs> I think I think most people want to be able to talk about themselves.
0: Tell me about the drumming, Joseph.
1: <laughs> I want to hear it. I think it's just. I think it's a lot of a lot of tension of human interaction. Of like a perfect conversation is give and take, so both people feel like I'm hearing something about the other person. I'm hearing. I'm I'm able to share something of myself, and like great human interaction is balanced. So So so
0: I feel like Hitler doesn't see it that way.
1: (laughs) Probably not. So I guess it seems like a good fuck you to Hitler. Exactly. If I could just pin him down and I'm just going to tell you the most boring shit I can think of about, you know, how many joints are articulated in this Luke Skywalker action figure. All right. It's time to come clean.
0: Are you a time traveler and were you in that bunker with him? No. (laughs) Damn it. I wish. I will find you time traveler. I will find you. (laughs) Um, Would you get a tattoo of yourself? Uh, maybe. I want to get a tattoo of something. You do? Where would you put the tattoo? Probably the shoulder. You want to do just like the sh- yeah. like the shoulder blade, back oh, of the shoulder, God, or no. like on your arm?
1: I don't know why, but the shoulder blade seems really horrible, just horrific to me. Like it, on the shoulder. Yeah. So it's almost always covered, but is easily revealed if you want it sure. without anything being sort of like nobody's ever gonna go like Ah, don't show me your shoulder, dude. <laughs>
0: Let me just unbutton my pants. Yeah. I want to show you my tattoo. Wait, come back.
1: <laughs> I really, really want a tattoo, and I've won one for a long time. I'm trying to wait for the right time and the right thing, but I've never been able to think of exactly the right thing.
0: But it will not be you.
1: Probably not me. Uh, I used to do a show uh, in Minneapolis where we would get random questions from the audience, and we'd put them in a bucket, and we'd pull them out, and we'd answer them. And one of the questions is was what would you get would you get a tattoo? well, we were asking people what should we get tattoos of? My mm-hmm. brother and I were asking, what should we get tattoos of and uh my wife to be Sarah was in the audience, and somebody must have just saw that we were chatting before the show and had a vibe because we weren't even dating, but somebody had put on the slip of paper that I should get a tattoo of Sarah Stevenson as her maiden name, yeah, and I remember being like kind of in that moment of like. I do kind of want to date Sarah Stevenson, so I was like, "Well, maybe, maybe Sarah Stevenson would be very impressed, and I could." But I think other, if I wanted to date other women, they'd probably be weirded out that I had a picture of a woman that I don't have a relationship with. Yet. And then, so, but it would have worked out. I should.
0: It might have been a weird first date. Welcome to Pizza Hut. I made something <laughs> for you. Look at Pizza my hut. look at my shoulder blade. <laughs> Let me take my shirt off first. If you were going to get a tattoo of yourself. On you. Yeah. What would the tattoo be? Would it be just your head or would it be you <laughs> striking like a karate pose? What would you do?
1: Oh, I think it would just be my head. I would find like the worst like Zoolander modeling type over the top <laughs> facial expression. <laughs> that and is put correct. it on my shoulder. Perfect. <laughs>
0: um, okay. Would you watch a biopic of your life starring Nicolas Cage? Yes. I would be annoyed that it existed because I think it
1: would contain a multitude of inaccuracies. (laughs) Number one being that
0: you look like Nicolas Cage? (laughs) Yes, which I do not. But I would absolutely see it. But I like to yell. Oddly enough, in in your actual life, you had somebody pour a bunch of bees into a a helmet you were wearing. Like a wicker man, right? It's a fetish. I have a (laughs) bee fetish. And that's not obsession, which is why we're not going to discuss it (laughs) any further. Uh, would you read slash fiction about yourself?
1: Yes, but I'm sure that I would also be bothered by the inaccuracies. <laughs> because it would be you with that helmet full of bees and you were just friends. Yeah. Well, it's just it's weird. You know, everybody makes themselves like the main character in the narrative of, of their own life. Yeah. And then you intellectually know, like, well, other people just see you as a side character and different things you do suddenly become relevant because in... In their story, you're just a comedian who likes squirrels, which is true, <laughs> but it's not a whole picture. So you know in somebody's slash fiction, it's just the part of me that they have seen. So it's that weird reflection of yourself that is accurate to probably a large portion of the world, but it's not going to be accurate to you. Right, which makes it worse. It's like,
0: is that was that what everybody thinks? He's like, is I'm that how I come going, off to
1: people? That? Just I'm just a guy who likes squirrels. <laughs> And weird slash fiction sex. <laughs> well, here's the other thing.
0: Who would this, like, slash fiction to me implies we're taking that somebody be... from out of, right well, beyond the sexual part of it. That that part I'm aware, that we're at least melding two worlds together. Right, so
1: that it'd be somebody, some other comedian or yeah. some who, other... Who would it be with? Oh, God. I, I don't feel like that is mine to ponder. Okay, that's uh... fair. And yet
0: you must answer.
1: <laughs> uh I, it would be uh it would be interesting if it were with like uh a fictional character mm-hmm. like princess mononoke Sure, Princess Mononoke. Or, like, I'm trying to think of a fictional comedian, a comedian who
0: doesn't actually exist. Robert De Niro in The King of Comedy? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, Tom Hanks in Punchline? (laughs) Sally Field in Punchline? There are no good fictional comedians, are there? Barry Sobel in Punchline? (laughs) Uh, As long as it's no one from Mr. Saturday Night, I'm fine. Okay, that's I'm sorry. It it was David Pamer from Mr. Saturday Night. (laughs) Not even a comedian. He was just his brother. Just trying to help him be a good person.
1: (laughs) I'll go with Tom Hanks. I'll take Tom Hanks. Slash fiction.
0: Uh, By the way, just a a side note. This made me think of of an idea. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't broadcast it out because somebody will do it. Because uh, what I think of slash like slash fic, I think of like people are writing porn in a way, and I know it's not. I know for them it's yeah. an expression, not necessarily pornographic. But I had an idea for <laughs> that idea that that. There's like always a pizza delivery involved in porn. Yeah. I want to make a film about the guy who owns that pizza place. Is like, it's been a half hour. <laughs> that place is, is two blocks away, and I have ten more deliveries to make. I can't leave this place here by myself. I'm just a small business owner trying to make his pizza place work.
1: Yeah, and if it was a combination pizza place pool cleaning service.
0: Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I thought this was going to be huge. I cannot keep a guy here. <laughs> Well thankfully I've got that porn business. That's gonna keep me afloat <laughs> for a while. And scene. Okay, um, if you could th- if you couldn't think about yourself without being punched in the crotch, <laughs> would you still think about yourself? Would that break you the habit?
1: Uh yeah, I think I would I think I would choose times that I could think about myself. Like I Like when you really wanted to be punched in the crotch? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that I would probably devote myself in a monk-like way of thinking of others and then like on Saturdays I'd be like, well, I'm going to get uh, get my balls punched and then I'm going to think about myself.
0: <laughs> isn't it like that thing though of uh if I tell you not to think about an elephant, that's all of a sudden what pops into your head, like it's it's tough to yeah. to break that habit, isn't it?
1: Oh, I would think so. And I mean, we all think about ourselves. We have to. I sure. mean, yeah. I've been
0: thinking about myself this whole time. I haven't even heard a thing that you said. Thank goodness we're recording this. I'm so glad. Uh, Okay. I have some... uh, We have a few final questions. This is in the style of Inside the Actor's Studio. Look, if you're a Patreon backer, you probably are aware of how this goes. Yeah. But I'm going to come up... uh, I'm going to come up with my own weird questions. Yes. Um, If you had to address the dark wiggle room... Inside of your heart and the hearts of all people, what would you say to bring it to the light? Like, how to help people not have the yes. dark wiggle room? How, do you, how would you address that dark wiggle room? What, if you could say one thing to the dark wiggle room that we all have inside of our hearts, <laughs> what would it be? Uh, I would say,
1: imagine telling Hitler about your dark wiggle room, and if he was
0: like, that seems good, don't do that. There you go. Uh, I'm going I want to do one off of the list here that I'm gonna do. If you could be, if you could trap someone else on a desert island with only one television show to watch for all time, what would it be?
1: Uh, I Breaking Bad. I would leave them Breaking Bad because it is both a gift and torture. <laughs> because they can watch it again and again, it's you know interesting and it's got you know nuances and layers that they can discover. Yes. But I think that's a show that no matter how many times you watch it. It will always be tense and frustrating and I think the more you watch it probably the more frustrated you'd get of like Walt don't do that thing that's the thing that screws you uh so I think it would be both yeah it would be both kind and mean to leave people only breaking bad to watch
0: okay um and then my last question for you is is uh if there's a heaven <laughs> and you arrive at the pearly gates which classic SNL character will be there to greet you and what will they say Oh, Phil Hartman. Uh, And he would probably say, you might remember me from such mortal planes as Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest has been (laughs) Joseph Scrimshaw on Obsessed with Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Hal Lublin. Joseph, thank you for joining us and yourself. (laughs) Thank you for being not me so you could ask me about me. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I was thinking about myself.
1: (laughs) And that is our podcast.
0: Listening to Obsessed, Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Joseph Theodore Scrimshaw, probably not your (laughs) middle name. Uh, What is happiness?
1: Uh, Happiness right now, I think happiness is a a (laughs) shapeshifter. I think think it it always changes from moment to moment. Uh, And for me... Happiness was being able to do my podcast that I really like, but not feel entirely responsible for it Uh, because you, you were leading the charge. So happiness for me this afternoon was uh, shirking my responsibility, <laughs> and knowing that I had shirked it off <laughs> to somebody that I really trust.
0: Well, uh, my happiness was sitting down here and talking with you because it's fun, and when you asked me to do it, I was like, "Yes, of course." If if you once you started with, "Will you?" The answer in my head was yes, not even knowing what the rest of it would be. So if you ever need money, you know how to do it now. (laughs) I've given away my secret.
1: And that is true happiness for me. That's right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you.